Hello and welcome, everyone, for YakimaValleyHops.com. My name is Caleb Schwecki, and this is the Late Edition Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. The Late Edition Podcast is where we dive into conversations with the people who help shape the craft beer landscape. We are coming at you from the heart of hop country here in Yakima, Washington, where we have the privilege of speaking with thought leaders in the brewing industry. In this episode, we are joined by Michael Viskill, who is the brewing solution specialist at John I. Haas here in town. We discuss new advances in hop science, the role that advanced hop products can play in your brewing, why sourdough baking and brewing interface, and even touch on a little morel mushroom hunting here in the Cascades. <laughs> All right. All right. I am definitely ready to get this going. I am so excited to be back recording podcasts again. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time coming down. I'm really excited about this conversation, but can you just introduce yourself, tell people who you are and what you do? Oh, here we go. First. The important stuff. First, no. for sure. Now it's official. Yeah, Caleb, thanks for having me and uh, and everybody here at, at, at YVH. Uh, my name is Michael Viscol. I uh, work for John I. Haas here in Yakima. I work as a brewing solutions specialist uh, here at the, at the company. Um, so what that basically entails is a, um, a fair amount of customer technical interaction with, with our brewers uh, that are customer based throughout the United States and, and, and through a lot of areas of the world. Uh, so providing technical support for those folks. Uh, but and also working very closely with our brewing and R&D departments uh, toward the commercialization of new hop products. So that's me. Very cool. Thank you so much for coming down. We also wanted to have a little bit of fun. And there are six loggers. Most of them are macros. Uh, there are a couple craft loggers, I believe, that got snuck in there. But yeah, but we got six beers. You can just sip on them. Uh, if you have an idea, if you think you got one nailed, shout it out. But in general, just sip on them. We can circle back to it about halfway through the show and see if you can decipher all those beers. Yeah, that sounds that sounds great. Um, it's quite a bit of lager to get through, but I think I'm up to the task. So. Well, and we have some professional palate cleansing pretzels, so those are all up to snuff. And so. also Rainier as well. So that's a palate cleanser, right? <laughs> I don't know, actually, if Rainier is in the blind taste test or not. Okay. I don't think it is. Wonderful. But, yeah. So seven different lagers in front of me. So that's pretty... Seven, seven different lagers. Yeah, there you go. And I got some green tea. So <laughs> I, think, I think we are all set, and we can kind of just start off with, you know, you've been at Haas for six years now, over yeah, six approaching, years? Yeah, approaching six years now. Uh, it'll be... June 15th when I'm when I'm here for six full years here in the Yakima, Yakima Valley area. Oh, congrats. Uh, yeah. Where did you come from prior to that? So quite a uh, quite a stark transition from living in the greater Philadelphia area out east um, to to um, central Washington. So I spent my first 30 years on this earth in the greater Philadelphia area and um to be out here was was quite an interesting transition for sure, um, and one that was a lot more calming. Let's say a lot more calming uh, being being out west, where uh, you're used to everything being so much all the time out east. Um, very bold personalities, um, 
obviously all my friends and family are out out uh, still out east in Baltimore and Philly and in New Jersey. So um, you know it's always it's always fun to go back to go home for for holidays and what have you. And you realize just how much a place over the course of six years kind of changes a lot about you and how you approach even just simple conversation. So. Do you, do you have to like raise your volume when you're back home visiting family or else they're like, I can't hear you. It's, speak it, up. it's not so much maybe that as it is. Um, everything is just very, uh, let's, let's call it, um, impatient to some degree. Um, taking a step back a little bit is, um, is, is something that I was never necessarily afforded, but, um, but it's, you know, a lot of it's obviously sourced through passion, and different ways to express that out east is is one that that is always uh, very interesting to reflect on. Where you know yelling at traffic consistently is not a part of my my life anymore, and it's really nice. Nice, nice. Yeah. Well, we're definitely glad to have you in the in the area in the valley. Was was it something where you were like, hey, I want to move to the middle of Washington, and then you found a job, mm. or was it more of like a hey, you know, you found the job and you wanted to be a part of that? So, Caleb, that's a great question because it was just so serendipitous uh, how it all worked out. And um, during during uh, the time when I was <clears throat> um, kind of on a, a, a career, I was looking for a career transition. I was working for a flavor and extract company in southern New Jersey. So we did a lot of uh, R&D flavor developmental work for non-alcoholic beverages and seltzers and making clones of very popular beverages for third-party markets or grocery store chains or things like that. And um, in the back of my head, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I just really would love to get into the brewing industry. Um, I was an avid home brewer at the time. I thought it was an amazing idea to try and start a small commercial hop farm out in southern New Jersey. Um, so I had my little third of an acre of, of Cascade that I, you know, had all built out and I can certainly talk a little bit more about that. But, um, during this time, um, I was going to brewing school while managing my job and I just knew I wanted to get into this industry. I just felt very passionate about it. And lo and behold, um, I got a call from a recruiter, um, which initially it was funny. Uh, it was at my, my place of where I was working. It was at the place I was working. And um, the front desk was just like, well, somebody wants to talk to you about hops. And I was like, oh, well, maybe that's just, you know, maybe it's a home brewer that wants to, to kind of chat about what I'm growing, even though it wasn't that, you know, robust or anything. But that's kind of where my head took, you know, my head went. So I took the call. And as it, as it turns out, it was a recruiter that pretty much put in in like a search, you know, uh, hops and flavor. And I popped up in LinkedIn um, in this very interesting way. So um, I wound up having a couple phone interviews. I flew out for a personal interview um, when, when um, Haas wanted to start considering me more seriously. And then literally in a matter of five months, I was... I was out here in 2015 in June. Very cool. Yeah. So you come from a very scientific background. Like what role does science play in brewing? Oh, I mean, it's it's the crux of it all, right? You have this obvious balance of, of science and art. Um, and 
so much of how you can express art, I believe, comes foundationally from a lot of aspects of, of science that, that, that you can establish. So from my end of things, it, it has afforded me the opportunity to be able to take a deeper dive into a beverage that I just regularly enjoyed and was passionate about and curious about. And in curiosity, so much of where you go from an academic standpoint or, or how you learn about things is, is rooted there. And then expression into an art form becomes you know, something, something much more than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. Nice. So you've been, how long have you been a home brewer? Wow. So, um, I was, I don't, I don't do too much in the way of home brewing these days. Um, that has since shifted to a lot of sourdough baking, but I was a home brewer for about a solid decade. Um, so nice. So um, we, even just looking at the six years that you've spent at Haas, how how have you seen the brewing industry change over those six years? Um, in ways that the brewing industry is is such an interesting and unique um, one at that, where you have this these these roots that have been built off of passion integrity and and people really truly wanting to share the craft with others so you have this dynamic that i think has existed for a long time and i know especially for me i've i've grown to love it even that much more where you have folks that are you know from the 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 person who enjoys just consuming the beverage to the person that likes it as a hobby to the folks that are in, in, um, at college institutions that are studying fermentation science and, and other dynamics around that to, to the, the breweries themselves, to the suppliers that, that help all of that come together. <clears throat> and that to me, I think is only getting stronger. So in, in my, in my experience, coming from the flavor world of, you know, flavor and extract world where you don't really have the same dynamic of community and family and connectivity that you would in in an industry like this. So the collaborative space, I feel, is getting tighter and tighter and more closely knit, um, which is really amazing to see. Um, But also how people innovate how people are innovating is is becoming one of those those um, areas that you see is not slowing down it's only speeding up and you know some might look at that as going well you know the market's just too fickle you know everybody wants the next best thing or everybody you know it's like oh well that's old news just because that came out last week or what have you but what's really beautiful is is that in this innovation space that those aspects of collaboration have been ever more strongly rooted. Um, so how I see even just product development at, at my job at Haas, how malleable we are in listening to the customer and their pain points, listening to brewers in the field of what they're experiencing, what, what are the challenges they face? And like actually having a dialogue on that as opposed to, okay, we have this really, really robust innovations team, but, and we're going to 
do all this work and we're going to, you know, spend years and years in, in product development. And then it gets to the point where you release it out into the world and then you realize nobody wants it. So the, the open innovative aspect of what I've seen, at least in my little niche of being in the hops industry specifically, is one that's really dynamic and, and really quite impressive and cool to see and cool to be a part of. Yeah, and, and you kind of hinted at it a little bit, but there is like a really powerful feedback loop almost where like a home brewer is a craft beer drinker. Uh, they know how to brew the beer, but they're also like in a tap room enjoying it. So they're, they're analyzing the beer. They're thinking in their own brain, like I'm going to brew this style differently. Maybe they go and do that and, you know, brew it in a different way, add an extra ingredient, try biotransformation, what have you. But then that, that innovative, you know, step or process gets bumped up to like the commercial level, right? Because a lot of commercial brewers, you know, they're still in homebrew clubs. They still try their friends homebrew. So there is, you know, at least in my opinion, like a really strong feedback loop between, you know, homebrewer, pro brewer, beer consumer, drinker. And, and I can't, I, I think you mentioned before we turned the mics on that, you know, there is not another industry that represents that, you know, collaboration and feedback. Exactly. I mean, the other thing too is, is that, you know, when you have that sort of connectivity, you know, I know when I was trying to get into the industry uh, early on, you know, you look at trying to get the opportunity to work at a brewery and it seems so far away. You're like, well, I'm just in my one car garage with my very rudimentary gravity, you know, gravity based system. And, you know, um, how can I ever make that leap? How can the leap ever happen? And um, you realize, too, that in you bring up a very good point where a lot of professional brewers or, or folks that are, you know, heavily ingrained into the into the industry in the larger form are sharing their knowledge with the homebrew base. Um, they're, they're showing that, yeah, there's not that much of a difference here that, that might have otherwise created this mystique um, surrounding it. And um, that, that to me is what makes the, the feedback loop that you mentioned so important because you're, you're intimately tethered along the way of, you know, no matter where you're at in, that, in, in, in this kind of community to have the the opportunity to interact across a number of different spaces in a meaningful way um, because we all are stewards of that of that message and 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 the whole community as a whole yeah. so looking at like <laughs> so looking at like your brewing career as a whole uh, you've been at Haas for six years have you always been the brewing solution specialist yeah, so great question um, and, and something that's really been um, a really cool opportunity to, to have been afforded. So I was actually interviewed for an open position in the advanced products plant to be a pilot plant kind of manager for a space that made um, Tetra Hop and, and Hexa Hop and, and kind of products that are downstream of extract. And um, it, there wasn't too much that was actually focused on the fact that I went to the American Brewers Guild, for instance, 
Um, and that I was focused on, you know, flavor, extract, sensory, those things that I worked on compounding and, and, and actually formulating beverages. And when I got to Haas, that's when things shifted very dynamically. Uh, went from not so much working in that advanced products plant, but actually being very closely tethered to our sensory program being very closely tethered to our brewing, our brewing division. And um, in a way, it was almost kind of like I got to choose my own adventure, which was neat. You know, so like super supportive in the way that I just naturally fell into this spot where I was kind of, I was working for research and development and that bled into this, this brewing solutions role that allowed me and afforded me the great opportunity of being able to interact with our customers, interact with our brewing division, interact with research and development, and kind of see all of that, you know, the beginning of an idea, the um, the ideation process leading up to physically commercializing a product at the end. So even for, you know, some of the folks at home who are thinking like, hey, I really want to get into the brewing industry, you don't necessarily always need to be a you know, head brewer, assistant brewer, work at a brew pub, work in a tap room. There are, you know, like supplier side uh, careers that are available. Oh, for sure. I mean, the way the way I look at it, too, is, is that you're always going to get perspective and experience. The experiences that you do draw upon are going to decide whether or not you want to be in in any given occupation, any given job. Um, but if you feel drawn to being in, in brewing specifically. I mean, there's so many facets even within it that it doesn't necessarily tether you to, oh, well, I can't make an impact if I'm not the lead brewer or a head brewer or, you know, someone that is actually directly tethered to physically making the final beverage. I mean, marketing, we, if, if, if beer hasn't taught us anything, marketing is a huge deal, huge deal. Um, so... There, there's, there's so many opportunities in those spaces that um, I think sometimes people might pigeonhole certain views of what it means to be in this space. So um, especially from the supplier side too, um, so much of how brewers innovate goes beyond, you know, obviously their, their unbelievable ability to be just creative and malleable. Um, and, and open to change, but it's also how they use the ingredients that are being provided to them by maltsters, being provided to them by hops companies or different yeast labs that have, you know, a wild amount of different strains or, you know, so on and so forth, not to be too general, but there's so many avenues that you could go. So when you were talking about some of those like downstream products, Tetra Hop, et cetera, you, you said advanced hop products. Mm -hmm. is, that, is that like the vocab word? That's how we talk about them? Yeah, uh, like these extracts, these oils, mm -hmm. they're all under that umbrella of advanced hop products? So, uh, yeah, that's a good way to, to you know, kind of put it. Everything that's downstream of an extract, an extractive, is more considered in advanced products, at least in the vernacular at, at the company that I work with, at Haas. Um, so everything leading up to that is kind of looked at as more traditional, is a good way to put it, so traditional and advanced. Okay, so that's 
you know, that might be kind of a good place to start the conversation. Uh, I, I've heard people describe, you know, classic T90 pellets or even whole cones. I've heard them described as vinyl records, whereas some of these, you know, advanced hot products, they're more digital MP3s. Like, is that a fair comparison or is that kind of muddying the waters? That's a cool way to look at it. Um, so one of one of the statistics that that has always resonated with me is that at some point, you know, you had 100 percent of your brewers that were using whole cone, 100 percent of them. Um, because there was no other technology in terms of how to distribute that beyond. Then the pellet came on, and of course, you have a philosophical difference right there. Was there when when the T ninety pellet was yeah. introduced, or were people were like, "No, this is this is way too far. This is too advanced." I mean, I mean I'm there sure there were. Back? I don't have outside of like my anecdotal assumptions of what it might be received as. You're like, how can that be anything like the whole cone that I'm using? Um, and that's not to, that's of course not to knock anybody that still uses them. They make wonderful beers, right? It's all about the flavor profile that you're going after. And then also how you're actually brewing to, you know, support whether or not that's going to work for you. So you have this, this shift where it goes to pellet. So then at, at a certain point you had now 50% of the world was pellet and then 50% of the world was whole cone, Right. And then extract comes onto the scene and you're like, well, how in the world can that be like the pellet I know and love? And, and the first extract was CO2 extract, right? Or, um, in, in some cases, um, hexane was used in, in a lot of cases and in terms of the process, um, this was before my time, but, um, from, but then specifically targeting just the alpha acids. Specifically targeting just, again, making a resin that had all of the components of the hop, just non, not the, the green vegetative material. Oh, so even, within it. even, you know, back in the day, whenever that was, you know, they were trying to go for like a full spectrum. I, I would imagine that would be the case. Um, you know, again, I can't, for, from my end, it's kind of tough to, to glean on history, but one of the, one of the, um, I guess I could really actually have done my research, Caleb, you know, um, that could have, that could have been really helpful here. Um, but one of, I can bring up something that, that this, this reminds me of, and it was, it was Bob Foster, um, uh, who, who worked at the time for, for Molson Coors. He was, um, very highly regarded hop scientist. And I was having a discussion with him, uh, um, a ways back and we were having some, some, ba some course banquets. And it was interesting because he goes, you know, everything that's new these days has already been explored. It's already been looked at, you know, these, what's old is new again in those ways. I mean, he was, he was gleaning on the fact that, you know, hop creep or things of that nature were researched heavily in the 40s, you know, heavily in the, you know, leading up to the 70s. But you just don't necessarily know that because it's deep within the archives of research that you might not necessarily have the access to look into. But that resonates with kind of what you're asking for me, um, because where extract, at least when it came onto the scene and and where this philosophical change, what I'm trying to draw back is that the philosophical change where, you know, now whole cone all of a sudden became only used by 2% of the world. 
world's breweries, right? So now you have, you know, what, 49% pellet, 49% extract, and then 2% whole cone. When, you know, so the, this shift is happening dynamically, and it's actually happening faster um, within, I would say, even just within the last six years that I've been at Oz. Mm-hmm. And actually, that that in and of itself brings up a really interesting point. Are these advanced hot products intended to, like, replace pellets and or whole cones? Or are they just another spice in your spice cabinet to use in the right recipe? Sure. Um, I think it can be a balance of both. Um, can, can these advanced products be, or, you know, can extracts, for instance, be used as a 100% hop load? Yeah, absolutely. Could you say if you were looking to replace a the hopping regime of a very popular brand that you know you're you're you know you you've brewed over the course of you know a handful of years and it you you hang your hat on it are you going to be able to pick out the differences of using a 100% extract replacement versus the recipe that you currently use, yeah, you're going to. Um, so to your point of being able to utilize the tools based off of what outcome you're trying to achieve, that's where the the real question comes in. Because as a mitigation, as an enhancer, as an efficiency gainer, all of these things come into come into play. And it goes back to, you know, you 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 had brought up you know, the science aspect of things, that's where it really comes, kind of comes into being an art as well, of knowing when to use certain products in a space that achieve a desired flavor output. Um, so you, you have this balance that you can work with and kind of use them all in a meaningful way, if that answers your question. Yeah, no, no, that's very cool. And you brought up Coors Banquet earlier. I don't know if there's any Coors in there, but... Have you uh, have you been able to pick any pick any of those out? Make any guesses? I haven't really. I, I'm so like um, <laughs> so excited to be chatting um, that I kind of almost forgot about my beer. <laughs> um, so you know, and I'm I'm definitely one of those uh, you know uh, to to speak and be able to like really give you a thoughtful answer and then go back to go. Oh, I didn't even really think about this. I just drank it. Um, <laughs> um, but I would say that number three is really intriguing here because it smells like it's dry hopped. And it smells like it's dry hopped with almost something like Equinot or something along those lines. Um, some kind of, there is a a pretty interesting onion, garlic, kind of sulfurous note in this one that isn't like, you know, the lager sulfur fermentation note that I'm getting. So hop sulfur, not fermentation. Yeah, sulfur. yeah, not um. So that was that's that's been kind of interesting. They're all extremely clean and 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 delicious. Um, but I don't yet have many guesses. I would I would say actually. Four is four in an international lager of some sort. You know, I believe they're all they're all domestic. They are um, all domestic. Okay. Because I had an initial, like, this kind of has a little bit of a Heineken note to it. Oh, um, yeah. There is um, there is one from Ten Barrel and okay. another one from Deschutes. Nice. So. Is uh, number three Deschutes? It might 
be. I, okay. I don't even know the answers to that. The uh, the guy with the the answers walked away. So oh, the guy with the okay. Well, that's we'll we'll all figure it out at some point what right, they are. Right. But yeah, well, you you keep studying those yeah, beers, but for sure. uh, when you mentioned you know if you're looking to 100% replace these pellets with extract in an established recipe, you said you'll notice a difference. Is that is that because like there's something like intangible in the green matter of hops that like hasn't been identified yet or is it just like you know it, i'm trying to like sure trying to figure out w what that difference yeah, is yeah i um so i guess the best way to put it is is that since with 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 extract you do not have any vegetative material within it vegetative material absolutely contributes to flavor whether or not that's, you know, you know, green, grassy kind of flavors, excuse me, um, or excuse me again, um, <laughs> cut that out, um, or um, just providing an overall experience of, um, of the hop itself. When you don't have that, you might be able to say, yeah, something is a little bit different here. Now, is the varietal integrity of this product still maintained, I think is the important point. So if you go in with the expectation that you are using an apple and you're expecting the flavor of, you know, an orange, I mean, it's not necessarily the best way to, to, to make the comparison, but they're different products. They're still derived from the same variety, but they're still different in their own ways. So can you get close absolutely you can get close but you know home brewers brewers alike you know you know your product the best you're going to be able to pick out the nuances that maybe someone that you're sharing a beer with like here's my home brewer you know here here you know i'm going to share this with with the greater group might not necessarily be able to you know to tease out those nuances um and i think that's that's the most important point so if you can use these in concert for a greater outcome, um, they can be really useful. Maybe we can talk about this a little bit later, but that kind of, uh, that sparks the word, you know, synergy in my mind. Sure. And th there's a lot of talk about, you know, like hop synergy. You use a couple different hops that have different compounds, different, you know, terpene styles, what have you. And they, you know, they team up, they work better together. Absolutely. It, is there, you know, some crossover there with, you know, using specific advanced hot products, extracts, you know, really targeting some of those terpenes, compounds, things, and then also using, you know, pellets? Like, can those products team up really well? Yeah, I, I think it goes back again, Caleb, to what are you seeking to achieve when using them? Are you solving a problem that you have? For instance, um, I Incognito, the product that that we have is a, a is considered a whirlpool extract solution that's varietal specific. So, what could be a pain point of somebody that might want to consider using a product like this? Yield loss um, associated with. The overall hopping regime of a given product, say you have a very heavily hopped double IPA that's hazy that uses just a boatload of hops. Okay. 
well, maybe you're adding three pounds per barrel on the hot side, which is quite a lot on the hot side, but it, it's not something I haven't heard before. Um, so right at the jump, before you even get to the fermenter, you're losing. You're already losing. So, um, and we're talking like five, ten percent potential. So, the best way to the best way to kind of put some number to that is for every kilo of hops that you use, ten liters gets absorbed from the hop vegetative material itself. So for the folks at home, you know, one pound, you're losing a gallon, essentially like that. I mean, you can, you can, I think my math's right. So you guys can check if I'm wrong, then you'll do the math and get it right. I'll whip up my abacus and double check you. Um, but that's a lot of loss from vegetative material that's just getting soaked up and you're not able to access it unless you have a centrifuge or you have a means with which you can at least better get that, you know, maximize your yield out. So if you're already up against that, is there a, a means with which you could mitigate it or make it at least a little bit more agreeable? Um, so a product like Incognito seeks to achieve that. Like some of the mantras and, um, and Virgil McDonald, our, our brewmaster at Hazel, will tell you is just our mantra is flavor and efficiency. Desired flavor outcomes that are true to variety and efficient outcomes at the same time. And if you can get both of those, that's it's solving a need depending on what it is. Some some folks aren't really going to necessarily mind that they're losing more in efficiency and they're just more focused on flavor or uniqueness of product or, you know, um, ease of use or something of that nature where other people are going to go, look, this is just not like I, I need to be putting more beer in the tank. I need to be throwing more, more, you know, more barrels, um, and turning more barrels around. So I would say a product like this kind of seeks to achieve multiple things, um, that, that can, then that can help multiple people. So really focusing on efficiency, you know, that seems to keep coming up a lot. Uh, consistency, I imagine that's right there when you're talking about, you know, kind of like that desired, you know, flavor profile. Consistency really matters, especially on a production scale. You know, everybody hates losing beer. So homebrewers, pro brewers, they all hate losing beer. If you're using a pound of hops and you're losing a gallon a wart, like that sucks. You know, that's, sure. if you're a home brewer, that's 20% of your, of your brew day, you know, <laughs> sure. just gone. So, uh, so, you know, efficiency, consistency, are there any other, you know, like benefits to these advanced top products or do you see, you know, other people say like, Hey, you know, Mike, I really appreciate this incognito because it helps me. I think it's really worth mentioning consistency. I think that is a big point that you're making where products like this that, you know, for instance, for, for those who aren't aware, I mean, extract products are around 40, you know, 50, 55 alpha, maybe even higher, depending. Um, they're higher in oils. Um, most, most components are elevated. Most components within the hopper elevated. You're, you're talking about a concentrated hop that point concentrated hop resin the shelf life on something like that is years as opposed to 
You know, maybe it's a, you know, a few months for whole cone, depending on how you're storing it. Or maybe it's, you know, you know, a couple years for pellets, for instance. Uh, so consistency of flavor outcome is a big deal. Uh, if you get the ancillary benefits, and actually we're working right now uh, to better understand what the shelf life implications are of a product that a finished beer that uses products like this uh, is it is it the same as pellets or you know is or is it better and if so why is it better so we're looking at you know different reasons behind um, why that could be even more beneficial. And then you look at it and go, well, wow, this this now increases my shelf life on my IPA potentially. Um, that adds to another dynamic of why a product like this might make more sense. Well, and the, that is a big issue. You know, just in the industry, there is limited shelf space, limited cooler space. So there's a ton of, especially craft beer, you know, that ends up warm on the shelf sure. in a grocery store. What's so a tragedy, isn't it? Well, it is, but you know, it's but pay, it's the way it is. It's pay to play. Yeah, you know, there is sure. a lot of you know a lot of big people that do pay for the cooler space, so it's tough. You know, getting that space, but you know, it definitely is a disservice, especially when you are trying to like highlight the hops, and you know, maybe they fall off after two weeks. You right. know, so how how do you you know really protect your brand uh, against you know that you know shelf instability? But that's. So, so that's it's the question we're trying to answer. That's yeah, the question we're researched. trying to answer for sure. Um, you know, there there's some anecdotal uh, pieces of information. I'll never forget a brewer from the Midwest uh, who who had mentioned that they they had made a beer that replaced the Whirlpool hops with with Incognito. I can't I can't really recall the rate or anything of that nature, but they said that they accidentally left a case of it in their boiler room. And it was still passing sensory, like go, no go. <laughs> and you're like, so it got hot, hot interesting. Hot. Like it got warm. It got warm. Yeah. Now, to what degree you can sit there and go, oh, absolutely. That's the reason, you know, now we can say extra, you know, it's doing it, but really interesting. You know, you think about that and you go, huh, what are, you know, the implications once you actually get some data to substantiate that anecdotal point? So we, we already know that advanced hot products work really well for a couple things, you know, efficiency, consistency, but you're saying there might be some undiscoverables for you know, sure. that are still out there in the future. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're doing some work right now uh, with the fine folks at Oregon State University to understand um, there's, there's a phenomenon that's kind of happening right now that um, utilization rates of extract incognito specifically in this case um actually have they're they're lower than you'd anticipate so you think all right well if i'm adding a 50 percent alpha product to my whirlpool i would imagine that that is going to rip your enamel off your teeth if you use enough of it Interestingly enough, we're, we're seeing pieces of information and, and things that we're seeing both in, in the field and, and also internally that the alpha utilization rates are a little bit lower than that of pellets when out in the whirlpool. And we're like, huh, what is that? What is that phenomenon? So the, the theory is, and there's, there's obviously been work, there has been work done on it. And, and, and from my end of things, uh, 
I want to make sure credit where credit's due, so I don't want to speak too much on it. But work has been done on on understanding if the alpha acids are actually binding to metals within the work matrix, and they're making them then inaccessible to isomerize and become bittering physically, you know, isomerized bittering acids. So that implication then says, okay, if that's happening, are then the available metals that would otherwise oxidize beer and, and stale beer out, is there an interaction happening that's actually improving the shelf life in that space? So really cool. Really cool. That, that is really um, cool. So we're, we're going through that exercise now um, where um, uh, we're working with OSU to, to better understand that, uh, to see if that, if that is in fact what's happening. Uh, to better be able to say, yeah, like there, there's data to substantiate that this could maybe improve your beer. So yeah, like things that even, I mean, we've been working on this project for four years plus. It's out in the world now and we're still learning about it. And that's the other thing too, is, is that our customers are helping us to those understandings. Collaboration in the space of new product development is so important to get in front of that as, as best you can so that you're, you're not only, if, if this is a problem that one brewer is experiencing, chances are there's a number of brewers that are seeing the same, the same issues and the same pain points. Well, and, and collaboration is, you know, historically like a big part of your role, right? For sure. Working with those brewers, better understanding the products, better understanding their pain points. Can you, do you have any stories about some of those collaborations absolutely i mean that study that i was just talking to you about was from dan carey at new glarus um and new glarus being one of those you know (laughs) one of those unbelievable like rites of 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 passage if you will or however you want to describe it like you're just in complete awe going to new glarus in wisconsin um so and and they strike me as like very traditional oh for sure so even just hearing that you know that they're using and playing around with extracts like that you know i mean they're 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 certainly looking there there are r&d facilities and and how they go about it and 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 dan is uncompromising randy thiel down there as well and their whole team i mean i hold them to such high regard uh and and being able to to at least get that kind of feedback to then spur work with an educational institution is unbelievable. Um, I've done a lot of work. Um, I'm actually wearing their shirt right now, Urban South. Um, those folks um, are, have been have been awesome in terms of looking at, at new products um, in, a, in a really creative and fun space. They have a, a little brew pub um, out of Houston that was pretty much just, you know, kind of coming online a little bit when we were when we did some work with Incognito and, and some other products, the, the the folks at Surly are just they're just they're some of my favorite people. Um, uh, ben Smith and, and that group there did so much in terms of doing some Incognito trials to to better understand how that product fit in um, Axeman, their Axeman IPA, which is 
I mean, just a beer I've enjoyed for a long time, even before, you know, I kind of got into the thick of being, you know, at Haas. Uh, so looking at different replacement rates of incognito and, and I'm going to shut up in a second, but I, I, <laughs> I think it's really cool. The, the exercise that we did, um, where I'll definitely show you the presentation to make sure the folks listening might have access to that or, or what have you, uh, where we looked at five different treatments using a, um, a different, different amounts of incognito. So in, in their whirlpool, they use Citra and Mosaic T90, uh, at, three pounds per barrel if I think I hope I'm getting that correct um but uh omit that so uh they're using citra mosaic in the whirlpool so what we did was their original formulation is the control citra mosaic t90 then we did citra t90 and mosaic incognito citra incognito mosaic t90 then 25 percent or I'm sorry a 50 percent split of mosaic pellets and mosaic incognito, citra pellets, citra incognito, and then a 100% entire replacement with citra and mosaic incognito. And we looked at all the analyticals associated with that, all the chemical analysis. We looked at shelf life, we looked at yield, and we looked at overall sensory uh, at both sites. And, you know, long story short, the conclusion was you're saving more when using some degree of extract whether it's a complete replacement or a partial, you're still saving. Um, shelf life was the same, maybe a little better. Again, we're still trying to understand that piece as I talked about earlier. Um, but the sensory was the the big winner where you were like, there's not enough significant difference to say you couldn't make that a passable part of your, your brand portfolio. Um, so to be able to collaborate in that space has been one of the most enriching parts of my career at Oz. Very cool. So you kind of talked about, you know, chemically analyzing some of these beers brewed with advanced hot products, uh, specifically incognito. It is a, it's a full spectrum extract, you know, so you get alpha, you get terpenes, like what, what's all in it? Yeah, so without, and, and that's why I'm, I'm so happy we have the R&D team that we do um, <laughs> uh, to be able to tell me what's, what, what is actually in things uh, in these hot products. Um, but the, the point is, is that it, they're, it, incognito is oil rich. So you're getting the, 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 hop oil, the full spectrum of hop oil components within it. Um, but the thing that you're not getting, I think, is actually the more important thing, is you're not getting the, the contribution of polyphenols from the green material in this product. So that's where mouthfeel might come into, into play a little bit more. But um, you're literally talking about a, as best as you can, as a, constant, you know, a concentrated representation of the hop itself. Um, we have... Another product that's kind of looked at on the cold side is called Spectrum, which with some really, you know, brilliant uh, research done by our, our colleagues overseas in, in the UK and Germany, that is a kind of a more full spectrum look at it, hence the name, uh, with, you know, polyphenols and all of the associated components within the hop that they made an extract fully soluble in cold beer, which is a really hard thing to do. If you were to just use standard extract, 
on the cold side, it will sink like a stone. Alpha, alpha acids as they are, are not soluble in cold beer. Um, so you would have this effect where unless you had something like a boatload of ethanol to mix the extract in, chances are you're going to have a mess on your hands on the, on the tail end. So if you're using something like incognito or standard CO2 extract on the cold side, you're probably going to need a carrier, some, you know, a PG, an ethanol, something of that nature. So a product like Spectrum kind of changes that game in a really interesting way. And again, it's variety specific. Do you want to replace 100% of it? Could you? Yeah. But does it make more sense to kind of see where that makes sense? Probably. You know, maybe you do a 50% replacement or something like that to see where it goes. Interesting. So not only kind of like where you use these advanced hot products are changing, but also like what's in them is also you know, evolving, like, yeah, certain needs are, are being met with certain products. And, and I think that's the, the crux of why you want to talk to customers earlier and more often talk to talk to your industry, talk to the people that, that are fully integrated within the community to, to better understand how you might be able to solve those problems. You know, I mean, another example would be say something like, um, Tetra hop, tetrahydroalpha acid, where you're getting a a bittering component to it that you could meter and you know adjust your your IBUs if you will or you know however you're calculating it you can make those adjustments um, but it's also improving your head retention so say you hop the hell out of something um, where you're killing your foam well you could feather that in to bring that back so. It's, it's targeting what your, your problem is mm -hmm. and then being able to, to offer that in a meaningful way, mm -hmm. it, if that answers your question. It, yeah. yeah, it definitely does. Uh, I'm also kind of thinking, you know, I've been hearing a ton about, you know, like thiols right now. Yeah. Like that's the, that's the buzzword that I sure. keep hearing. Like is there, you know, is there the potential to maybe like uh, isolate some of those thiols or like precursors and, you know, offer that as an advanced hop product, mm. you know, like as these tastes and, you know, trends and styles change, are they, are they also going to change? Um, so you bring up, you bring up a really interesting point with this question. So could you go to a flavor house and get those thiol components? Absolutely. If you were able to identify what they are, those components exist in the world. Now, by, made by other things. Sure. Lavender makes oh, whatever. Yeah. So like when I used to, at, at my old job, um, I remember we would have, you know, we had a number of different peach flavors that we would make. And um, one of the components of the peach flavors that we would make was paramethophile. And paramethophile, you'd have to make a tincture of a 1% of a 1% of a 1%er. Otherwise, you smell like cat pee for days, you know? So what's really interesting about that is, okay, what w could you potentially make some kind of, you know, flavor product off of that? Sure. You need the right, first of all, you need the right equipment R and D wise to determine what those are. How then do you fractionate it and actually like capture it? Um, because they're very volatile compounds. Um, but then on top of that, 
what is what what are you what is the the problem that you're solving? I'll never forget during um, I think it was 2017. Uh, I was at the International Brewers Symposium that was held at OSU. And, you know, you had academics coming in from all over the world. You had brewers and, and breeders and, and all sorts of folks giving presentations. And there was this, this, this uh, one researcher, I think it was Martin Steinhaus, I want to say, um, who did just amazing work on, on polyfunctional thiols. And, you know, to the point where it's above my head, you know, but really intriguing work. And a brewer stood up during the question and answer session and said, that's really amazing work. But how does that help me right now tomorrow my quality program? And that's like the space where, where, where I'm at now and exist with the, the group of folks that I work with, where it's, it's towing that balance, right? What, what can you make as a practical solution that solves the problems that you can you can address today in a meaningful way versus waiting 10 years for everything to be figured out? Now, there's, that's in no way saying that that research is not absolutely important and, and really well received, but you have to find a balance too. Um, so, you know, with something like a, a concentrated flavor product with that, you're, you're, you're faced with, well, can, can a flavor house do it cheaper? And are you getting something that's unique to say, Hey, since this is derived from hops, I'm getting, you know, this is, this is the value that I want. Um, because again, it's, it's kind of what you fight with, with, um, maybe even just, let's say the flavor market in general, if I can get a grapefruit flavor, um, that tastes amazing and then I have a hop that tastes like grapefruit, then it comes down to like philosophy of that physical brewer. Because um, maybe I just, it's, it's fine. I, I, I have my grapefruit flavor, it's all I wanted. You know, because people might not care. Or you get the folks that are like, yeah, I want all of this to come. Luponic Distortion is a great example from Firestone Walker, their IPA series where they're targeting flavor outcomes by using hops. So you're going to have that balance. So again, it comes back to what need are you addressing? If I know that was kind of a amorphous answer to your question, but and a long one, but it it, it went <laughs> in a great direction. No, cool. that was good. Um, is there is there a point in like is there an advanced hop product that you would say, whoa, 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 that is way too far? You know, like. You get a little box and you say, like, I want linalool and geranial and, you know, 4MMP and you push the button and, like, Star Trek, like, you know, it just, like, warps in. Like, is there, do you ever foresee a point where you're like, no, we, we crossed, we crossed the line? I don't know if the line will ever be crossed. I think that you're at a stage now where the lines are all blurred. I mean, if, if you look at, just the extent of, of how people, you know, create new beverages. If you, if you add limitations and barriers, that's the second your innovation dies. So nothing is too far reaching. Nothing is too outside of the box. Does it, I mean, all right, well, if I need to, you know, f travel to Mars in order to make this work, well, maybe that's not practical, right? But like, maybe that also spurs another idea. 
too. So this whole concept of like open innovative space is really interesting to me because of that. Um, because nothing is necessarily off the table. It's just more of where it makes the most sense. So I don't know, you know, maybe we do get to a limit. I mean, you can, you know, you look at folks that are throwing birthday cakes in a mash tun. You know, that's happening. People are using fried chicken and beers, you know, like there's always going to be that space of there's it's whimsical in that way, too. So you don't want to like dampen anything or put a barrier up. Well, that's that's too ridiculous. That's too far reaching. That's stupid. But oh, wait, holy crap, that technology is really cool. Maybe we can use it here. Um, So I hope. Yeah, I hope that kind of provides some framework of how we kind of try to look at things a little bit because. Otherwise, it becomes so limiting that you can get paralysis from that, for sure. So technology-wise, are we at a point now where we are simply, like, analyzing and seeing, like, accurately what compounds and things are in hops? Like, where does it get to a point where we start, you know, breeding for select, you know, characteristics, attributes in these varieties like where does where does that technology fall like as far as we know what's in it turning that into this is what we do to achieve you know these results down the line yeah the question you're asking is a monster one um and i appreciate it greatly and i will say that i'm not gonna you know i won't be able to speak so much for say breeding for selective attributes or or you know um developing certain methods on on gas chromatograph mass spec um but what i can say is that we are entering a space where one of the things i derive great pride in great pride in is that you can't just sniff your hops and know what your outcome's going to be and that might sound obvious but to have the opportunity to have worked in a space where we have, whether it's it's a new hop variety that's that's going through our breeding program at, at the hop breeding company that we're joint partners with, or it's a new incognito variety with a different, um, you know, it's, a, it's just the new variety we're exploring, brewing with it and seeing for ourselves what that outcome is, is so paramount. Um, that in and of itself, I think has, has helped us learn so much about the products that we bring forward and get a good handle on it to then be able to come to, to any brewer and talk meaningfully about it. This is what the flavor outcome you're expecting, because a lot of, a lot of times too, even if you were to look at, you know, the analytics of, of a certain, you know, oil composition or what have you, that doesn't necessarily mean, well, all right, so this is high in linalool and it's high in, um, you know, geraniol. And therefore I'm expecting this level of impact because then what other synergies are happening? You brought up synergy. So what yeast is being used? Is that expressing it? It, You know, what is the recipe that you're using it in? What is the rate with which you're using it? Um, So much of this is the reason why I'll be employed for a very long time. You know, and we'll we'll all be able to just learn consistently from that. Um, but brewing with it, I think, has been the most edifying part of learning more about what hops can deliver and potentially what kind of flavor outcomes we might expect in the future. 
Well, we talked about a lot of really good stuff. I think, you know, that's a pretty good place to leave the advanced top products yeah. conversation. I mean, is there any, you know, like follow up? Is there anything that we missed that you'd really like to address? No, I think this was really engaging conversation. This is one of my like, you know, this is kind of one of my first podcasts. So uh, this was a, a real pleasure, a real pleasure. Um, thanks for so yeah, cool. Thanks for gracing us with your presence. We don't have an award, you know, like first time oh, podcast. It's or fine. Anything, but you gave me a lot of lager. That was really oh, nice. very cool. That was very really cool. appreciated. Yeah. So not talking hops anymore. Yeah. But I do have a couple follow up questions. Sure. So right now, Morels. You said nice. they are popping yeah, in the they Cascades. Are. They are. So one of the um, one of the great things about living out in the Pacific Northwest uh, is the opportunity to get lost in the woods and learn a lot of things that you wouldn't necessarily have had the opportunity to learn elsewhere. Um, I was doing some small, you know, levels of foraging back in in rural New Jersey, finding chanterelles here and there. Um, some other edible mushrooms, um, chicken of the woods, which is a really interesting mushroom if you haven't heard of it, but literally tastes like chicken and literally has the texture of it, which is wild. So that whole, you know, organic interest for me, obviously the Pacific Northwest is a hotbed for fungi. Um, so this is about the season, you know, mid mid May into into the early parts of the summer, where um, if if uh, you've ever had the opportunity to stroll into an Oregon supermarket and see morels for fifty dollars a pound, you might want to try and look for them. You know, is that what they're going for? They were going for fifty dollars a pound. The place I saw in Corvallis. All right. And you're like, okay, well, I'd rather spend a good portion of the day in the woods. And see if I can, you know, not only get some exercise, but then make dinner later. There you go. Well, uh, and I'm even asking about, uh, and I'm even asking because mostly I really want to brew like a morel lager. You know, that yeah. the idea kind of came from a, what a UK brewery uh, function. Yeah. yeah. Non-alcoholic, and they they brew a variety of beers with yeah, totally you know cool. with you know chaga lager, yeah. lion's mane, reish, reishi, yeah, okay, okay, nice. So morel mild, morel mild. There we go. Morel mild. Yeah. I mean, like, have you ever brewed with brewed with mushrooms? Or I is haven't. That... Um, uh, you know, I haven't. I didn't really. My mushroom interest kind of happened after my you know, extent of my homebrewing, um, my homebrewing experience. So it's more straight up now for, um, enjoyment in, in food, more food based, you know, cuisine applications as opposed to into, into beer, but I'll certainly have a lager with my morel pizza that I make or something of that nature. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So you mentioned cooking, baking, yeah, uh, that's another one of your passions. What what is the crossover between baking bread and brewing? Why do you love it so much? Yeah. And that'll be the final question. Great final question and one that I could spend the better part of the rest of this evening talking about. Um the similarities are I mean, they're obviously so closely tethered. Um you know, you're talking about basically four ingredients to create either a liquid bread version or a tangible 
loaf of bread. And, you know, for me, exploring um, sourdough culture has been a really, really cool experience. And that was like one of the hobbies I took up when I first moved out here. I was, uh, <laughs> you know, didn't have any, any family or friends out this way. And I didn't really meet uh, too many folks uh, at the very beginning. So my sourdough starter was my pal. <laughs> You know, and as weird and, and lame as that sounds. Uh, well, that's a lot of friends because I mean, yeah. there's like billi- billions of things in there, right? <laughs> that's a yeah, good point. Thank you for that. Really, that, that made me feel good, Caleb. Okay, Thank good, you. Good. Uh, uh, but yeah, so uh, worked on on making a lot of different sourdough loaves. I am in love with different grain flour combinations. Uh, there are a lot of really excellent millers in this area. Uh, one being Karen Spring Mills or Camas Country Mill or um, just a lot of, you have Washington State Bread Lab that's out here, really good bakeries, you know, peppered throughout. One of my favorite in central Washington is Anju Bakery and um, um, uh, just outside of Leavenworth in Kashmir, in the Kashmir area. Amazing bread, amazing. So um, I've been able to slowly build um, this really cool little baking community on on my Instagram and you know it's like you spend all day thinking about beer and then I come home and just spend all my time thinking about bread and it's just so cool it's just a lot of fun um but I've been able to share with friends I've been able to share with you know brewers that I've become friends with and it and, you know it becomes a a really amazing time to be able to share and 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 reflect so yeah, bread's awesome. Bread's awesome. Bread's Very cool. Awesome, yeah. We'll have a pizza party sometime. Absolutely. So I'm going to go run to the fridge. I'm going to grab all the beers, yeah. and then you can line them up, Yeah. and we'll see what we get. Okay, so, that sounds good. All right. Yeah, cheers. Okay. <laughs> yeah, work okay? Yeah, we're good. Yeah? yeah? Oh, for sure. Good, good. Yeah, this is this is great. This is uh this is a really good time. Yeah, dude, it's working, man. Yeah. That's dope. Cool. Cool. You're, you're an awesome yeah, like cuz it's been super solid. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. This is- I wasn't sure if I was like talking too much, too. Cool. Cool, brother. Yeah. I appreciate that. Nice. Nice. Yeah, it's super comfortable with y'all. Oh man. Okay, that this shoots is three. No question. American lager, American pilsner. Yeah, I'm putting that oh, there. There is a Rainier in there. There is a Rainier. Rainier's oh, in there sh- somewhere. I need a keystone. Nope, I got a keystone. I need a bud. Okay. Man, I'm I'm having trouble picking these suckers out. This is tough. Yeah, yeah. This is really tough. Oh man. Admittedly, I haven't had a pub beer or a Bud Light in a long time. But yeah, I'm a I'm a Wisconsin boy, so drinking Bud is like mm-hmm. sacrilege. Oh yeah, I'm sure. 
All right. So we got, yep, we got six beers. You're lining them up. The Rainier PBR situation is always difficult. <laughs> I might just be way off anyway, but it's lager. <laughs> yep, it's nice. Yep. I also drank a lot of PBR. I, Rainier was introduced to me when I moved out here. So. Oh, yeah, man. Absolutely. So <laughs> there's certainly a papery aspect to four, <laughs> huh. uh, an aged aspect to it. That's what kind of took me down the international path. Now most of these are looking fresh. Really? Okay. Yeah, there's just an interesting note to it. All right, let's just let's just do one of these, folks. All right. Woo! All right. Final answer? Uh, I mean, yeah, sure. How bad? You nailed the shoots. You were confident on that one. You got that one. Everything else was twisted, eh? Man. No, that was that was a very, very tough challenge. So starting with one, one is Bud Light. Okay. Two is Keystone. Okay. Yep. So those, right. are, those are easy to I switch. I was stuck yeah. between those two, yeah, for yep. sure. Haven't had a Keystone or a Bud Light, and, and I can't even tell you how long. Yep. And then, yep, you nailed the shoots. <laughs> American Pilsner is going to give it away. Huh? You nailed the pub beer. Okay, good. And then Switch the five is PBR, yeah. Okay. I was, I was, okay, I'm happy with that. I mean, I'm happy with... If I'm confusing light beers and confusing lagers that are pretty close, the fact that I got these two, the craft lagers, okay. Right, you know, there I, we go. There I feel go. good about that. You, you, know. get, you get the gold star for yeah. the day. <laughs> Come up a little short, but that's all right. That was a really difficult challenge. Like during the entire interview and in a podcast and what have you, I'm sitting there going, I have no idea, Caleb. <laughs> So yeah. so is this something we should keep? Oh every sure. every single guest comes I, on. I think I think you should totally keep it and and make it make it hard as hell. You know? Like really make them have to consider it because that for me was like, you know, you kind of you're like putting the shark tank. I like that. I like that. Tested your good battle. stuff. Good stuff, dude. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. It was a great conversation. I always love talking with you, but this in particular was a lot of fun. I love love hops, love advanced top products, and love what you're doing. So keep up the good work, and you are always welcome to stop by. It's always good to have you. Super, super appreciative. You guys have been awesome, awesome hosts. Um, 
anytime you you want me back. I'm more than happy to be here. I could we do a whole podcast on bread. That'd yeah, what's today? Fine. Tuesday? How's, yeah. Wednesday, how's Wednesday look? That's fine. I'll uh, I'll bring some loaves in. Awesome. Yeah. All right, cheers. Well, you know, apart from you, uh, really big thanks to Ian Kitts. He's running the soundboard, doing some video, doing some audio. He set up this beautiful room. It sounds pretty good, you know. It's awesome. Maybe the host doesn't sound very good, but the room sounds good. Uh, other than that, Kyle, thank you so much for all the hard work that you put into it. Kyle made all these sound panels. It's he awesome in here. Ironed the linen by hand, just hand constructed. Uh, Kyle's amazing. Thank you so much. And also, thank you to our executive producer, Jeff Perkins. Bra you, Brains behind the operation. <laughs> Love it. Thank you so much, everybody. Uh, hope you enjoyed listening. This is the late edition. And catch you next time. Happy brewing.